Welcome to another post-election episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me as always is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's Monday, November 16th. It's been nearly two weeks since election day. The president still hasn't conceded, and he isn't allowing Joe Biden's team to formally meet with government officials to begin the transition process. But his legal challenges have gone nowhere, and time is running out. Meanwhile, unlike the presidential race, the battle for Congress is still up in the air. The Senate majority is in play, and several House races remain uncalled, though Democrats have held their majority there. So on today's episode, we'll look at what we know and what we don't know from election 2020. Then we'll check out an ad currently on the air in Georgia. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first is Jerose Gem. Jerose Gem, my number of the week is 141. The 117th Congress convening in January will have at least 141 women, a new high watermark according to the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University. Democrats will account for at least 105 of the 141 women, or 74% of the total, while there will be at least 36 Republican women. The number of women in the House will increase to at least 117 from the current 101, driven by impressive gains by Republicans. There will be at least 28 Republican women in the House as of January, more than twice as many today. Democratic women will still have a dominant advantage with at least 89 women. The number of women in the Senate will decline from 26 currently to 24 or 25 in the next Congress, depending on if Georgia Republican Senator Kelly Leffler keeps her seat in a January 5th runoff. California Democrat Kamala Harris will be leaving the Senate to become vice president, and it's not clear yet who will replace her. Arizona Republican Martha McSally was defeated for re-election, while Wyoming Republican Cynthia Lummis will be joining the Senate. While the 141 women represent a new record, that's still just 26% of the total membership of the Congress. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your Jero's Gem of the Week. All right, up next are the known unknowns. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. The whole country is paying attention to Georgia right now and wondering whether Democratic turnout in the cities and suburbs can outpace Republicans' base mobilization in exurban and rural areas. The state's two Senate races, of course, will decide which party has the majority in the 117th Congress. That will have an effect on Joe Biden's presidency. But there are also more than a dozen uncalled House races. And that's where I want to start. Greg, what's left and how tight will the partisan division in the House be? Yeah, it's going to be smaller than exists right now. We have a reduced Democratic majority, which uh, comes as a little bit of a surprise, I suppose, if you uh, look at the what the independent election prognosticators said before the election. They predicted a, a more of a gain for uh, Democrats, and even Democrats predicted they would aug- augment their majority. But right now I have it as 219 Democratic, 204 Republican, with a dozen races left uncalled. And so um, the Republicans are ahead in most of the uncalled races, although with the ballot counts being what they are, we really don't know which way they're going to go. But it's going to be a reduced uh, Democratic majority. I, I think the Democrats will probably wind up with somewhere in the, the mid-220 range, mid-220s. Um, which would be uh, less than the you know 232, 233 seats they currently hold right now. Um, you've got a lot of uncalled races in uh, New York, 
which has a kind of a meticulous and you know long uh, ballot count rule there. You know, you've got a couple of races in California that are very tight. Both of them are rematch races, by the way, in 21st District uh, with David Valadeo narrowly ahead of Democratic Congressman T.J. Cox. And in the 25th District in Los Angeles County, uh, Mike Garcia is a little bit ahead of Democrat Christy Smith as we speak today on Monday, November the 16th. Uh, but you've still got 12 races left, Colin. That's quite a lot to have, uh, you know, about almost uh, two weeks after the election. Yeah. Uh, one seat that Democrats could lose is Iowa's second district. That one, I was looking at the numbers this morning, is separated by like 48 votes and is obviously headed to a recount, I would think. Um, and that's uh, an open seat. Uh, the Republican Marionette Miller Meeks uh, versus Democrat Rita Hart. Um, wow, that's a close one. And uh, is that headed to a recount? I think it very well may. It's certainly within the, the parameters of, of recount territory and mo- under most state laws. Depends on uh, what the state statute says. But yeah, we're talking about a margin of fewer than 50 votes out of maybe you know, roughly 400,000 cash. So we're we're talking margins like you know, the Al Frank and Norm Coleman race from 2008, or um, I remember uh, a 1994 race in Connecticut, uh, that uh, U.S. House race there that was decided by 21 votes after I think the initial count had it at two votes. So extraordinarily thin margin. And this would be if the Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks, as you mentioned, uh, maintains her lead, this would be a big pickup for the Republicans because this is a district that is being vacated by a retiring Democrat, Dave Loebsack. Yeah, and he's had it since uh, 2006, uh, uh, the big Democratic wave year. Now, you know, speaking of waves, 2018, obviously big wave for Democrats, but that blue tide ebbed some clearly in this election. And I think what everyone's asking is why? Uh, Politico had a story on Friday saying Democrats think they have a messaging problem. Uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial page this morning said it's, and it's not the message, it's your policies. Uh, but I think we should also note that Republicans had some pretty strong recruits. Uh, good job by them. Um, Republican turnout was obviously higher in 2020 than it was in the previous midterm, um, when it seemed like a lot of a lot of them just didn't come out to support uh, Republicans in Congress because Trump wasn't on the ticket. Um, and then also voters had the option to split their tickets this time. And it looks like in a lot of districts, they may have done just that. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of ticket splitting in House elections, but in the districts where there were, I think you can point to solid Republican recruits. I look at California's 39th district, where Young Kim, a former assemblywoman, uh, defeated Democratic Congressman Gil Cisneros in a rematch of their very close 2018 race. This is a district I think that Biden clearly won. Uh, California's 48th district, uh, Michelle Steele, uh, unseated Democratic Congressman Harley Ruda. Uh, that's a district that Biden also clearly won. And so uh, uh, clearly uh, Michelle Steele won some ticket splitters there. And then in you know South Florida, Florida's 26th district, uh, where Carlos Jimenez unseated Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Mukarsel Powell. And in Florida's 27th district, where uh, Donna Shalala was surprisingly unseated by Republican Maria Elvira Salazar. And then in some other districts, I think, um, you know, you did have you know, the, uh, the the House result kind of paralleled the presidential result. And you, you saw a lot of uh, first-term Democrats from districts Trump carried in 2016, and who were these Democrats elected in 2018, just didn't win enough ticket splitters to hold on. I'm thinking of Kendra Horn in Oklahoma's 5th District. I calculated the presidential result there, and it was 51% to 46% for Trump. So, and that was actually a uh, 
a narrowing of the uh, the Trump margin from 2016, but Kendra Horn just didn't win enough ticket splitters to hold on. South Carolina's first district where Democrat Joe Cunningham lost. I calculated that as Trump 52%, Biden 46%. Trump won that district more handily in 2016, but again, uh, Nancy Mace uh, won that election there, uh, probably helped by Trump's coattails there. Um, I think Trump uh, overperforming in some of these uh, districts uh, certainly was enough uh, to, to pull over, to pull some of these Republican challengers over the finish line. Yeah, Greg, you mentioned those two races in Miami-Dade County. The presidential vote there was fascinating. Biden got essentially the same number of votes as Hillary Clinton did, but Trump improved on his vote totals by 200,000, uh, which accounted for a big part of his margin uh, in winning that state. Um, all right, enough about the House. There's Georgia we got to talk about. Um, We said all year it could come down to a January runoff in Georgia. It really happened. Times two. Uh, The National Party committees have already sent staff. They've kicked off robust fundraising efforts. And all four candidates are out out with TV ads, Um, sometimes multiple TV ads. Uh, And some of them are featuring attack ads with Fidel Castro and Jeremiah Wright. Greg, how are you handicapping this race uh, to start? Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the parties do to try and ramp up turnout in these runoff elections. About 5 million people voted in the November 3rd election in Georgia. That was an enormous turnout. And usually we expect runoff elections to have a lower turnout than in the general election. So we're already seeing a lot of television ads and because the Senate majority is at stake, um, that's clearly what the parties are trying to do to gin up turnout. Uh, you want to get out as many people as you can for a, an oddly scheduled election the first week of January, Kyle. Yeah, so Republicans go into this with a 50 to 48 seat advantage. Uh, if they win both, um, they're up 52 to 48 in the 117th Congress. If Democrats win both, it's 50-50 tie. Kamala Harris casts the tie-breaking votes Um And I would think she would do that on things like cabinet picks um, to start. That would be one of the first things um, we'd be looking at. Um, If Republicans hold the majority, there's a a good reason to believe that Biden's going to have to negotiate with McConnell on all of those picks. So this is really important for lots of reasons. Um, Who's controlling the Senate floor um, is really big for Biden, um, especially in his first few weeks and months when he really would love to get off to to a good start. Um, but yeah, I got to think, given the stakes and all the attention these races are generating already, um, plus the expansion of voters casting their ballots absentee this year, I mean, who knows? Um, you you, you got to think GOP, you know, traditionally would start with the advantage here. But, you know, um, for all those reasons I just stated, I mean, I think it's it's got to be a toss up at this point. Plus, Biden just won the state, you know. Um, now, looking at Biden's vote totals, he brought in 100,000 more votes than John Ossoff did uh, in the regularly scheduled election against Republican David Perdue. Um, so Perdue and, Trump's, Perdue and Trump won almost exactly the same number of votes. Um, so where did those 100,000 Biden voters go if they didn't go to Ossoff? Well, they went to the Libertarian candidate. I think his name is Shane Hazel. Um, he won't be on the runoff ballot. So Yes, this will be a base turnout election uh, for both seats, but you have to think there's going to be some outreach to those third-party Senate race voters who oppose Trump. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the the presence of Shane Hazel on that ballot kept David Perdue under 50% of the vote. Um, So Biden won the state, as you mentioned, by about 14,000, 15,000 votes pending a recount. Um, 
But um, in the elections on November the 3rd, Purdue outran Ossoff, as you noted, and also the aggregate Republican vote topped the aggregate Democratic vote by about a percentage point in that uh, battle royal that involved uh, Raphael Warnock and Kelly Leffler and the other Democratic and Republican candidates. So Biden carried the state. The Republicans actually had a slight edge in the vote totals in November the 3rd. So I think you really have to call these races toss-ups. I have to agree with you there, Kyle. All right, we'll have to leave it there. Um, but ne- up next, we're going to look at an ad currently on the air in Georgia. Now we take Georgia, then we change America. You heard him. Chuck Schumer is trying to use Georgia to take the Senate majority and radically change America. The Schumer Pelosi Ossoff change defund police, voting rights for illegal immigrants, Washington, D.C. as the 51st state. Then we change America. Change is coming to America. Believe them. Vote Purdue to stop them. I'm David Purdue, and I approve this message. That was an ad from Republican Senator David Purdue of Georgia, who makes D.C. becoming the 51st state sound like the plot line for a slasher film. Greg, what stood out to you? Yeah, well, this Purdue ad seeks to nationalize the Georgia election around the specter of Democrats controlling the Senate, which they would do, as we've noted, in a 50-50 Senate only if John Ossoff defeats Purdue and if Democrat Raphael Warnock defeats Republican Senator Kelly Leffler the same day, January the 5th. And the Purdue spot, as you just heard, uses a recent clip of Chuck Schumer, who would become the Senate majority leader if Democrats win both Senate elections. And the ad links Ossoff to Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and to defunding the police. So that's not going to happen. Even Democrats acknowledge that defund the police was an effective rhetorical instrument the Republicans used against them in the most recent election here. I'd also note that when Republican ads like this refer to Georgia determining the Senate majority, they are implicitly acknowledging that Trump lost the election because otherwise Mike Pence would be vice president in a 50-50 Senate and the Republicans would still have the majority even if Democrats won both Georgia elections. Only if you grant Kamala Harris will be vice president in 2021, which is going to happen, do the Senate elections in Georgia determine the majority party leadership. Neither Purdue nor Leffler have said that Trump lost the election. Biden is likely to travel to Georgia to campaign for the Democrats. We will see if Trump will. Okay, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question and answer. I noted that Arizona Democrat Mark Kelly, a senator-elect, is a retired astronaut who was a NASA space shuttle pilot. And I asked for the former U.S. senator who is the most recent person still living to have walked on the moon. I gave the four choices of Bill Nelson, Jake Garn, Jack Schmidt, or Jack Swigert. Kyle, what is your answer? I don't know this answer, so I'm going to say Bill Nelson. Okay, it's a good guess. But the correct answer is Jack Schmidt. He was a geologist and astronaut who walked on the moon as a member of Apollo 17 in 1972, which was the final moon landing mission of NASA's Apollo program. In 1976, Schmidt was elected to the Senate as a Republican from New Mexico. He was defeated for re-election in 1982. Bill Nelson, as a Florida congressman in the 1980s, flew on the space shuttle Columbia as a congressional observer and payload specialist. Jake Garn was a Republican senator from Utah. He flew aboard the space shuttle Discovery in 1985. 
And Jack Swigert was a member of the Apollo 13 mission that had to abort its lunar landing attempt, as shown in the Apollo 13 movie that starred Kevin Bacon as Swigert. In 1982, Swigert was elected to Congress from Colorado but died of cancer before he could take office. And the most famous astronaut politician, of course, was John Glenn, one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts who served in the Senate for almost 25 years. In 1998, at age 77, Glenn went into space again as a payload specialist aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery. And I still remember the Godspeed shout-out he got from Bill Clinton at the 1998 State of the Union Address. Thank you all for indulging my love of space and politics on that trivia question. And now for this week's question. Kamala Harris will resign from the Senate before January 20th to become vice president, and California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom will appoint someone to replace her. Question. Who was the last California U.S. Senator appointed to that chamber? You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We will post the question as a Twitter poll with four choices. I will give the answer and ask a new question on the next episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm pretty sure I know this one, Greg. All right. That's it for us today. Before we go, Greg, you watching anything else this week? Yes, expect the resolution of some of the 12 House races that remain uncalled as of today, Monday the 16th. Most of them are in New York and California. The House returns this week for legislative business following an election recess. And the Republican Conference and Democratic Caucus are holding leadership elections. Look for Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy to again be renominated as party leaders, though watch for any signs of dissension against Pelosi that might leak out from what is supposed to be a private caucus election just a couple of weeks after House Democrats lost seats. The real election for Speaker, of course, will be the first week of January, a public election carried out on the House floor. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. Down Ballot Counts was produced by David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstead and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.begov.com. We'll talk to you next week. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, super fun, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater. That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to the Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.